Getting back to the basics on electrical maintenance. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Season 7, Episode 3. There's nothing basic about truck electrical repairs and maintenance anymore. Even basic wiring repairs require special parts and tools. According to our guest on this episode, some basic electrical maintenance and repair skills are sorely lacking in some fleets. Is that starter really finished, or is the cable too simply corroded to carry all the current? How do you know when a sensor is getting the voltage it needs? Are your technicians properly trained on using multimeters? Larry Rambo, a sales application engineer at Perkey's in Rogers, Arkansas, has a few thoughts on how to get your technicians up to speed on electrical basics ahead of the onslaught of advanced electronics, trailer telematics, 24 and 48 volt electrical systems, and even battery electric trucks. But before we get started, if there's something you'd like us to cover on this podcast, email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. My conversation with Larry Rambo begins right after this. This episode is brought to you by Fleet Safety Experience, a powerful digital gathering for the fleet safety community. Presented by Automotive Fleet, Work Truck, and Heavy Duty Trucking Magazines, the 2021 Fleet Safety Experience takes place virtually September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to learn more. So hi there, Larry, and welcome to HTT Talks Trucking. Hello, and thank you for having me here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, sir. I caught your presentation at the TMC uh, spring meeting, and you had a lot of really interesting stuff to say, which is kind of what prompted me to invite you onto the podcast here. Uh, let's start the conversation with a, a sort of an overview of the importance of truck electrical systems and how important it is to maintain and repair them properly. I mean, you know, they create all sorts of downtime. We've got diagnostic time and the cost of replacement parts. Uh, all that stuff starts to add up if you don't do a good job of this. So uh, first question basically is, are fleets doing uh, a good job of staying on top of their electrical maintenance and repair needs these days? In my opinion, no. But, you know, and one thing when you, you know, I talk or, you know, my role in life is I only ever have to work on one part of a vehicle, which is electrical system um, versus a fleet. They're looking at, you know, the entire system all the time and how to maintain all of it. Um, but from from my opinion, what I see at so many fleets, they don't spend the time on electrical like they should, and they wind up with repeat failures because of it. And whether that's the 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 main systems, and a lot of times we talk about uh, TMC's RP one twenty nine, which just really deals with the the cranking and charging system. But those same rules apply to every uh, electrical system on that vehicle, and not enough time is spent maintaining them, in my opinion. Well, it's pretty hard to find a system on a truck today that doesn't have a wire attached to it. <laughs> I mean, the electrical maintenance affects almost everything. Tires now have got sensors in them. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to avoid it. Oh, it is. And, you know, with TMC Supertech and a lot of the state competitions and, you know, uh, fleets in-house competitions, I used to joke that, you know, one day the only section of a uh, uh, a tech competition that wouldn't require a multimeter was tires. And guess what? We're there now. Um, with the, the inflation systems and everything that, you know, even just to, to check the battery in one of those things, it requires a meter. So there's not a part of that truck that doesn't require somebody to know how to use a multimeter. Well, if you're not using the meter correctly, that would affect your, your diagnostic 
uh, troubleshooting tree all the way down the line ultimately to whether or not you've got a problem and, and probably how to fix it properly. If you're not diagnosing it right, you're not setting down the wrong, the right path from the start, are you? Oh, yeah. That's, you know, it, it starts with that. If, you know, and every service bulletin, manual, whatever is written on the premise that somebody knows how to use a multimeter. And just an example of what I've, I've done is um, I took a scenario that says, okay, you know, you got a, a service manual says you're going to check the sensor and it should be at least 6K, saying that that sensor is looking for at least uh, 6,000 ohms to be considered open or an infinite reading. Okay. And I'll bring up on the screen a, a multimeter reading that's, you know, 5.86, but it's got an M. They don't understand what that M is telling them, and so they see less than 6, so what's bad is, no, that M's telling you that that meter's actually giving a reading of over 5 million ohms. And is that bigger than 6K? Yes, it is. But if you don't understand, <laughs> yeah, someone just replaced a sensor because they didn't understand what the multimeter told. And that's where the cost comes in, doesn't it? If you keep taking sensors off the shelf, you have to replace them and that costs money and time. Yeah, they're, they're not cheap and nobody ever puts the other one back on when they realize they did it wrong. Right. It's usually, well, it needed one anyway. <laughs> now, if my car mechanic did that, I wouldn't be very happy. Oh, no. And, and even just a, a simple car, you know, crankshaft position sensor, which is one of the, the cheapest sensors out there and usually one of the easiest ones to change, you're still looking 40, 50 bucks. Where does a technician get these, you know, multimeter training or, or does it suffice to say, yeah, well, yeah, I've got one. I've been using it for years. Does anybody, you know, ask them how well they know how to use it? Um, no. And that's part of the problem. They, everybody does assumptions. Yep. Um, and there's so many places you can get training. We do it for, for fleets all over that, you know, use our products or, you know, we do it as a, a for hire type thing. But there is tons of YouTube videos. Um, a lot of your tech schools will offer uh, open training for, you know, different programs like that. You know, our local school uh, here in Northwest Arkansas, they did a an open house, you know, workshop type deal and let anybody in our area come in for, for multimeter training. They did the same thing on, on brakes and several other systems mm -hmm. that's, you know, there is, uh, avenues out there to get the training, but like you say too, somebody has got to test them is they can attend every class and, you know, show up or whatever. doesn't mean it's sunk in. And for some people, electrical is not ever going to be their forte. Nope. You know, there, there are certain things we're all good at and certain things we'll never be able to do. Um, but, as long as we understand that and realize people's limitations, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you can't assume this guy's real good and not do anything to, to verify he, he truly is. And the thing I see in so many shops is they got, you know, we'll call him Bob on first shift. He's really good with electrical, so they give him every electrical uh, problem. Well, Bob's not there 24-7, so no one else has gotten any better than day one because they've relied on on Bob to, to do all those. Yeah. Is, is there a hierarchy in, in a lot of shops where they have the trailer guys and the tractor guys and the electrical guys and the brake guys and never the twain shall meet? Is it all really siloed still or are we starting to see more of a... Yes, it, it, definitely in most, you know, fleet shops, you know, you're a truck tech or you're a trailer tech, which I think is a terrible mindset because... Um, I've gone to, to fleets before and say, hey, I'm here to do, you know, electrical training. 
I say, okay, I'm going to ground up all the, the tractor guys. And I'll say, well, what about your trailer guys? Well, they're just trailer guys. They don't need to know how to use a meter. And it's like, well, how do you make them or how do you expect them to be able to troubleshoot lighting issues? Or, or telematics issues. Yeah. Or if it's a, a trailer with a lift gate, you know, what is a lift gate? You know, it's, it's got a pump motor, which is basically a, a cranking motor. You've got some sort of charging system to charge those batteries. There is a lot on a trailer anymore. Um, and if it's, you know, refrigerated, you know, you got, you know, different electrical systems there. So to, to not have every technician involved is, is kind of silly in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree, at least on paper. Uh, what would you say are some of the greatest weaknesses today in, in fleet maintenance, electrical maintenance generally? I still go back to the, to the old thing that we've forgotten the basics. Um, I've been to many big shops and you open up a battery box um, and you look at the batteries, you grow corn on top of them. <laughs> yeah, I've That's, seen that. Yeah. It's like, you know, don't tell me you've done a battery service on this truck in any, you know, uh, regularity or, or done it recently. The batteries don't look like that if you've been servicing them properly. So the importance of, of checking batteries on a regular basis, which I know it takes time, but so do road calls. Um, so I am a firm believer that you should service batteries at least tw uh, twice a year, um, a spring one before you go into the, the heat of summer and then a fall one before you go into the cold of winter. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not just testing the batteries, but that's giving them a good thorough inspection. That's cleaning everything, you know, make sure everything is bright and tight. Um, that will fix tons of problems. Um, but not just the batteries, but, you know, batteries are the hard electrical system. But you can have the best batteries in the world if you've got, you know, poor cables or loose cables, corroded cables. You can't, you know, deliver that energy to the starter, so you're never going to be able to crank correctly. And you'll have a fleet that puts five starters on that truck, and nobody ever stops and checks cables. Do you have any idea from alternator suppliers, starter suppliers, how many items come back for warranty that are still perfectly good? That used to be a big part of our business, and I could tell you exact numbers, but there's still a ton that gets sent in for, uh, or returned or whatever, for trouble not found. So, and that's probably a cable issue or a connector somewhere uh, upstream of the starter then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's somewhere in the entire system. Um, and again, going back to RP-129 or just a cranking charging complaint is a lot of times, you know, someone will get a... Uh, cranking complaint and they'll go through and check batteries and check this and say, well did you check the charging system well why would i do that it was a cranking complaint well if your charging system can't get those batteries replenished what's it going to seem like to the driver yeah. you know so you have to check that entire system and properly trained with the right equipment you know you're looking at you know 20 minutes to do uh those tests and if you do them and they pass, guess what? You're going to have trouble-free service for the next, you know, uh, six months till it's time for your another one to check it again. Well, if you don't know how to do this or if you're struggling with uh, proper procedures, the TMC RPs, uh, I went through and listed, did some research here, a couple of them that would probably help fleets a lot, like the 129B troubleshooting, cranking, and charging systems. I mean, it's not just a shot in the dark. There are you know, procedures to follow and steps you have to follow. Uh, the 132B, the battery charging, testing, and handling RP. 
you know, there's lots of resources out there for fleets to learn this if they don't know it. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, because we're so involved with TMC, again, when I do trading, I'll ask people, you know, are you familiar with RP-129? It's like, what? What are you talking about? And, and I, that's where some of the, the higher upset fleets fail, that there is just a ton of good information. Right now, we're just talking about, you know, the S1 uh, group at TMC. Yep. Um, there is, you know, 14 other groups that all have information for all the different parts of a truck. You know, whether it's cab controls or tires or material handling, you know, and these were all written not just by uh, experts in the the aftermarket, but it was experts from the OEs. It was uh, fleets. You know, lots of people contributed to this. It wasn't one person's, you know, opinion. Um, and yeah, the, the times that, you know, people on the floor have never heard of any of this information, um, you know, it gets a little frustrating at times. It's like, wow, there's there's all this, you know, material out there and nobody knows about it. That amazes me. Uh, not that I've ever used one of those RPs on a truck, but uh, just researching them when I'm writing stories and stuff about them, I'm aware that they're there. And I've always thought TMC has to be one of the greatest resources in the world for, for fleet maintenance. But like you say, a lot of people don't even know they exist. Uh, if you were the king of electrical maintenance and repair world, uh, what would you change today? Probably one of the biggest things that, you know, things I see is giving a technician an extra five or 10 minutes or whatever on a service and investing that time in a good, thorough visual inspection. Okay. Um, there is just tons of things you will find just by looking. Um, you know, reaching in and, you know, grabbing wires, moving them, touching them, run your hand down. You, you know, are you finding chafe spots? Uh, cause a lot of times I'll get, you know, sent out to, you know, help a customer and it's like, well, why did nobody find this? You know, and why did it last so long? You know, how many, you know, services has it been through that nobody, you know, found these and, and did something about them? It, well, yeah, it seems like a pretty simple thing to do. Spend a few extra minutes looking over something. Why don't they do that? Is it just a matter of technician time on the task and, uh, billable hours so to speak why why is there such a rush you know techs are always you know uh you know if you if you ask them why they don't do this or you know why do you you know have resistance to doing this this is it takes time they only give us you know depending upon the fleet and what their their pm uh inspection process is but you know they give us this whole sheet of stuff to do and they only give us an hour to do it there's no way we can do it all correctly and I see both sides of that. Yep. Um, you'll you'll have some that would milk that that it, you know no matter what an hour job would take them three hours. Um, but if you can show what you fix by doing some of these, I don't know a, a fleet that would tell you you know hey we're not going to give you any more time to do that. Mm. Or some of it is simply, um, yes, I found this on my PM which has a certain SRT, but now when you go to fix it, that becomes the new work order. You know, don't don't lump it in into the the PM time that that is a separate job now. Yeah, yeah. That's well, a sort of a maintenance management issue, isn't it? It really it is. That you know we got to give technicians the time to do these things correctly, but we also got to train them to do them correctly and provide them you know whatever tools they need. 
because that's some of the other things that, you know, uh, we see shortcomings in fleets is it's easy to, you know, buy a tester or an AC machine or a wheel line machine or whatever, any type of tool, but you're not done there just by buying it. You know, somebody's got to go in and train people how to use it. Indeed. That's a pretty important part of it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, you know, in the battery, you know, cable testing, alternator testing, there's, there's a lot of good pieces of equipment out there and they will pretty much walk you through how to do the tests. But if you just hand that, you know, tester to somebody, people will figure out all kinds of shortcuts that's going to negate the value of that tester. You know, for example, uh, anytime you're trying to load test or, or charge a battery on a Group 31 truck battery, you also have to use, you know, some sort of a, a lead adapter or brass adapter, depending upon the battery, because you have to get a good connection down to the lead pad. The stainless steel stud is only there as a mechanical connection. But if you don't do the hands-on training and stress why those adapters are, are so important, technicians will quit using them or never use them at all from, from the get-go. And suddenly you start having lots and lots of batteries that fail. And it's not the tester's fault. It's not the battery's fault. It's just the process um, allowed a, a perfectly good battery to, to fail. I'd hate to think of the number of batteries or the number of starters or any other major component you want to mention that are wound up on a scrap heap because they weren't properly tested or diagnosed. Oh, yeah. Um, and you see it a lot with alternators that, you know, hey, driver's complaining that, uh, oh, the voltmeter is low or whatever. Um, guy will go out there and put a, a voltmeter on it. Yep. You know, it's only putting out 13.1 volts. And... You know, they're trained that that thing should be, you know, regulated around 14 volts. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have discharged batteries and that alternator is putting out every bit of current it can trying to recharge those batteries, well, of course the voltage is going to be low. You know, that alternator is doing exactly what it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. That's Ohm's law. Yes. <laughs> it goes right back um, to the basics yeah. there. Say, it's not just a, a, a good idea. It's a law, kind of yeah. like gravity. <laughs> and you can't change yeah. it. That's right. Um, but yeah, by not going through the, the right, you know, processes and again, going back to my experiences and, and doing training is we've always called it, you know, the, the battery alternator, you know, cable testing one, two, three training. And the reason why that is, is number one is you have to test the batteries. Nothing else can be done on that truck until you either, you know, test the batteries, you know, they're good, or you've replaced them and know they're good. But one way or another, you have to have a good battery pack to do anything else. Anything downstream of the battery is not going to read right if the battery is not putting out the right voltage. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, it goes for cable and everything, too. If you've got corroded cables, you may have a perfectly good battery, but you're not going to get the voltage at, 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 at the destination because you got corrosion in the way. And, that, and that's some of the neat things, too, that uh, some of the new test equipment is able to do for fleets, um, where it can actually store a lot of this data up to a cloud. And you can much easier go back through and look at, you know, this truck and say, what's the history on it? It's like, we've put five sets of batteries in this truck in the last year. You know, what else have we done? Well, nothing. Well, that's part of the problem. Now, <laughs> now we go back through and, and do all the tests. Um, and that may be either, uh, you know, the company as a whole needs some training. Um, you may go back through and look, hey, these were all done by the same guy. You know, we, we really need to spend some time with, you know, uh, bill on second shift, um, or it may be a terminal location. So, you know, Hey, if you look at, and which is kind of what we've done with, with training before too, with our customers, 
is you get people that say, well, we want training everywhere. It's like, do you really need it everywhere? Where do you have problems? You know, where do you have the most stars and alternators returned or, or your most, you know, comebacks between PMs or whatever? And some of those are, are pretty easy to find out. Says, so, yeah, we've got 12 terminals, but these are the two we really need somebody to go to. That would be an interesting exercise. Uh, yeah, and with data analytics, you could do that pretty easily, I, I suspect. But you're right. It would be one of those, you know, forehead slap moments for a fleet manager to realize that one terminal out of a dozen was causing most of your uh, battery purchases. Yeah, and I was talking to a good friend uh, earlier this week where they've been really spending time to track um, repairs between PMs so they can, you know, what can we do to, you know, in a perfect scenario, we should never work on a truck between PMs. That anything that's starting to fail or, you know, is getting worn to a certain point or whatever, let's fix it in the shop so it never breaks down on the road. You know, perfect world. Um, so they look at all those and look at any time a truck's been into a shop between PMs and trying to find out, you know, hey, you know, it, what do we need to do to, to keep that from happening? Do we need to, you know, change our, our minimums, you know, whether it's brake linings or tires or, or whatever, um, to be able to figure out how do we quit having any type of repair done between a PM? And so they spent a lot of time with that, and they've been able to go back through and, and look where they have uh, deficiencies and, you know, either people or training or policies, whatever, and it's starting to have a huge payback for them. I'll bet it would be, yeah, yeah. We're talking with Larry Rambo. He's the sales and application engineer at Perky's. Uh, Larry, when we come back, let's dig into a few specific maintenance or repair issues that you think fleets need to pay a bit more attention to, stuff like you know, key off parasitic loads and, you know, maybe even basic wiring repairs. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking. We'll be back with Larry right after this. Fleet Safety Experience is back. It's the virtual version of Bobbitt's popular Fleet Safety Conference. This year's program looks at managing high-risk drivers, the relationship between technology and safety, coping with a fleet's fatality, and more. The NTSB's Rob Malloy delivers this year's keynote presentation on crash investigation and highway safety. Fleet Safety Experience is all about improving safety for light, medium, and heavy-duty vehicle fleets. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to view the full agenda. We're back with Larry Rambo, a sales and application engineer at Perky's. Uh, Larry, we we promised the listeners we'd get into a few specifics here so they can get their notepads out and take some notes here. These are things that fleets would run into sort of on a daily basis and, and things that are becoming more and more of an issue, I would guess. How do we deal with stuff like drivers uh, who want to modify their electrical systems, like installing, you know, a light bar, some chicken lights, or even putting in their own inverter? You know, there's a, some real risk to that, isn't there? Oh, there is. Um, and it was bad enough before with, you know, just plain 12 volt systems. But now you get into everything that's uh, done with, you know, CAN bus or, you know, high speed connections that you can do a lot of damage just simply by connecting power to the wrong source. Um, most fleets have, you know, that we deal with and we deal with a lot more of your your larger national fleets. Um and most of them have some pretty strict policies on drivers doing anything. Um, that if they discover a driver added anything, you know, they will uh, remove it immediately. Um, things like uh, chicken lights are just not permitted at all. Because um, one, if you put a light on a truck, 
it has to work. They don't want another light they have to maintain. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Um, inverters, um, and that's one of those things when, when we got inverters initially, oh, 20 some odd years ago, um, our first reaction was, ooh, why do we ever want to sell one of those that, you know, the the impact they have on battery life and everything else. But, you know, from a driver's perspective, you know, that is a necessity anymore. If you're going to be out on the road, you want 110 power to be able to have, you know, things that make your life more comfortable out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so inverters have gotten to be almost a standard anywhere. Um, if they don't, and uh, it's a driver requested, driver furnished. Um, we have several fleets that, uh, you know, you can furnish the inverter, but you have to install it or have one of our shop technicians install it. And you have to use, you know, our provided harness or whatever, just to cut down on uh, poor installs, um, scary installs that lead to thermal events, because we've seen some some scary things. There's plenty of those documented. Oh, yes. You know, seeing people run cables through the side box and slam the door on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, under gauge cable, improper cable. There, there's just tons of things that can go wrong. Um, so, you know, fleets have really cracked down on the you know, most fleets will do about anything to keep a driver happy in, in today's world. Um, but we do have to make sure it does get installed properly, um, that it's not going to cause, you know, again, either a thermal event or, you know, a, a huge negative impact on the operation of that truck. Okay. Well, speaking of inverters and, and stuff that makes drivers lives, uh, easier, Parasitic loads. We've got uh, all sorts of things on a truck now that draw current 24 hours, seven days a week, even when the key's not on. Uh, how do we diagnose and measure key off parasitic loads on a truck and take steps to you know, prevent batteries from running down? There's many things, and that is a great topic because that is a huge issue anymore. Um, and it was you know, a huge issue all through 2020 because of all kinds of equipment that got parked. Um, one is you do have to use a, a multimeter or an inductive amp clamp to do a parasitic draw. And you're right, every vehicle has parasitic draws. Um, if you look at the, you know, a modern truck, you know, it can have 20 plus computers on it. You know, if you look at engine, transmission, ABS, collision avoidance, um, you know, the AM, FM, you know, radio, it, you know, basically it's still a computer. It has memories, um, you know, a, a clock. All those things are pulling some power to keep their memories and, and, and presets and everything. Um, and if vehicles are going to get parked for extended periods of time, you got to do something to, to offset that. Um, and when I say extended periods of time, even three days, you know, if a driver is going to be on uh, sick leave or vacation or whatever, um, we've seen a, a huge upturn in solar for maintaining vehicles like this. Um, uh, but some of the, the easiest and simplest thing you can do is if you do have a truck that's going to sit, if you don't have something like uh, solar or shore power to maintain those batteries, then the very least is when you park it, go out there with a 916 wrench and pull the battery cables. That can do wonders for the uh, impact on one is whenever you do need the vehicle, it can start. And number two is if you avoid cycling those batteries, it's going to uh, improve the, the life you're going to get out of them. That, you know, batteries don't like to be cycled. Is there any risk to depowering all of those systems on the truck, all those microprocessors? No, not if you do it right. Um, you got to be careful. Uh, make sure you don't touch anything that you're not supposed to. But, you know, most devices are, are 
completely safe to disconnect unless you have anything that's, you know, uh, sensitive that you may have to check with an OEM on, on reboot or whatever. But for the most part, yeah, simply disconnecting the, the battery cables is not going to hurt you. And I always recommend pulling the grounds. It's, it's safer and, and cleaner to do. Um, less risk of a wrench touching something, you know, if you're doing the ground side. Sure. Okay. And what about those battery disconnect switches? Uh, is that as good as disconnecting a ground cable? Depends where that battery disconnect switch is put. Okay. Um, I would never recommend putting a battery disconnect in the cranking cables of a big truck. Simply because nobody makes one that is well enough made with enough capacity to not create a ton of voltage drop uh, in those cranking circuits. Okay, that makes sense. Now, if it's a cab feed or something like that, uh, some of the OEMs already do it right now to, to limit parasitics. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can you know shut it off and it kills power to the cab. It does not break cranking cables. Um, but if you go back to, we were talking about TMC spec uh, for cranking cables and RP129, you're only allowed half a volt at 500 amps. And I've seen most of those master disconnects can have almost a volt just by themselves, especially as they age. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there is some applications that they are mandatory, like refuse vehicles. You know, that is a, a federal spec. They have to have a master disconnect on them. Why is that? For, for fire? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of methane in those things. Yeah, and just, you know, the, the amount of, you know, nasty that gets dropped across contacts and everything, that, yep. you know, that is a spec form. Um, and I say federal, I, you know, I, I may have misspoken, it may be state, but... Many, many places it is a requirement they have to run one. Okay. Um, and it's one of those things if you do run one, make sure you buy the best one you can. That is not something that um, you should be price shopping on. Boy, <laughs> you, you, you said a mouthful there, sir. <laughs> and I, I see it all the time that they, they you know, take off the, the company A from the factory and they get a price on it and have a conniption and they w- go out and find a, a will fit and you know, convert them to those. Yeah. And then for some reason, every time they turn around, they're putting starters on it. <laughs> That's false economics, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about calculating hotel loads when you're specking your batteries? You, you know, your drivers are going to want the microwave and the, you know, the widescreen TV and uh, maybe even the CPAP machine. Uh, there, there's going to be a lot going on in, in most trucks today. So how do you figure out what kind of battery you need, how much battery you need. Well, and that's where uh, one of the RPs you mentioned earlier, 139C uh, from TMC, gives you a lot of the criteria you need to look at when you're looking at batteries. Um, The biggest problem I see is there's still a lot of misinformation where people select batteries simply by CCA, and they think the the bigger the CCA, the better the battery, and that is 100% the, the wrong answer. Um, you have to look at what that battery is going to be needed for. You know, obviously it's got to crank the engine, but you know, what is the, the engine OEM's requirements? Um, cause really more important than CCA is reserve capacity is, you know, how much material, how much energy can that battery store? So not only can it crank the engine, but it can also power all those key offloads and whether it's, you know, refrigerators, you know, TVs, computers, whatever, you know, driver may have and still have enough energy to crank the, the truck up afterwards. 
Um, and it used to be we only talked about flooded cell batteries. You know, that's what's been around for, you know, 100 years. Mm-hmm. Well, now you've got AGM batteries or absorbed glass mat, which are still a lead acid battery, but they're a, they are a different uh, composition, a different manufacturing process. They are a totally different battery, if you will. Um, and now you've also got lithium coming into the market. And lithium even, you know, we drop it into one bucket, but there is just tons of different types of lithium chemistries. So you, you really got to do some research and, you know, what are you willing to spend for a battery? And, you know, what is the criteria that you're trying to match, you know, to pick the right battery? Can you mix batteries on a truck, like keeping the, the flooded cells for starting and lighting and separating out your, uh, your hotel load batteries, like AGM versus a flooded uh, acid cell? Yes and no. Um, when we say mixing batteries, um, one, if it's a, a lead acid battery, a flooded cell, they have to stay separate from anything else. You can't mix AGM in flooded cell. And, and uh, I may be breaking this down just a little bit too basic compared to what you asked, but this is one that really needs some, some stress on it. Sure. Uh, because, again, people just lump them all into one group. But yes, a flooded cell you should never mix with AGM because they do have different um, charging characteristics, different profiles, different states of charge, you know, things like that. Um, and even in, you know, if we say, you know, just starting off at flooded cell, you should never mix and match different types of batteries. Um, and when I say different types, that you don't want to put two 950 CCAs with two 700s. You know, our rule of thumb is you should always stay within 50 CCAs of each other. Hmm. Okay. I didn't and know also, that. Yeah. And also you should stay within six months of each other. Um, cause that's what happens a lot of times with a fleet with a, you know, a truck with four batteries. They have one bad battery and they replace it with a new battery. Well, six months from now they have another bad battery and they replace that one with another new battery. Long story short, you wind up with a pup from every dog in that battery box. And every time you turn around now, you're going to be in that battery box. Because the bad ones take down the good one. And it's not so much that. It's just, you know, you know if, you, if you look at a year in a service, I've got, you know, two one-year-old batteries, one six-month-old battery, and one brand-new battery. So you always have something, you know, aging differently and is going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a fleet runs a recharge program, there's nothing wrong with a recharge battery. You just have to go through those batteries as, you, as they go through the process and kind of bank them up says, okay, here's four, you know, brand Y batteries that are, you know, all within six months of each other. Um, they're all, you know, 650s or 700s, whatever. Here is a good pack that the next time someone needs batteries for a truck, you know, they've been recharged. We know they're good. They're a match set to go back in. Okay. So, uh, one final specific concern here, I guess, uh, going back to what we started talking about earlier was technician training. Um, using multimeters and advanced diagnostic equipment. If you're a fleet and you want to get your drivers up to speed on some of these uh, new processes and new bits of equipment, where do you start? And you said drivers, but I'm sure you meant technicians. Oh, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I did slip of yeah. the tongue there. One of it, you know, is, is look at your suppliers. You know, who are you buying your batteries from? Who are you buying your stars and alternators from? You know, who who do you know in the industry that, you know, can support you? Um, that's Again, people that use our products, we do it for free, but 
I've got a lot of people that, you know, and, and consultants I work with and stuff that um, they pay us to go in and do it. This is, hey, you know, we don't buy from you, but I, I want your expertise to come in and, and do this. Um, and there's lots of people that can do the training. Um, again, too, there's there's programs at vocational schools. Um, and if you if they don't have one, reach out to them and, you know, ask them. Um, most vocational schools that have a diesel program want to interact with local fleets as much as they can. It's, it's very much a beneficial relationship both ways. Because if you talk to your vocational school, they want to be teaching everything they can to make sure technicians graduating are ready to fill those spots at local fleets. So it, it's, it's beneficial both ways that, you know, to see if they have a program that you can either bring people in or have a, a, t a teacher, you know, during summer or whatever, come and do some training at the, the location. So there's many avenues to do it. So not beyond the reach of most fleets and probably not that expensive in the long run. Generally, it's not. And especially if you look at what misdiagnosis can cost you yeah. on any given day. Yeah, it'd be a bargain, I guess, at twice the price, yeah, as they used yeah. to say. Okay. So before we wrap up here, uh, Larry, I want to get a couple of sort of final thoughts from you on uh, on the future of uh, truck electrical systems here. We're getting into advanced electronics, trailer telematics. Uh, there's task forces underway now looking at brand new connectors for trailers, a whole trailer infrastructure uh, electrical system. Uh, we've got 48 volt systems on the table, battery electric trucks, you know, they're already out there. How well prepared are we for uh, this onslaught of new electronic and electrical stuff? Um, to be quite honest, right now it scares me. Oh, um, that we we can't, as an industry, very well work on a straight twelve volt system. Um, and when you start talking about all the things you just listed, um, that you know, even short term, you know, one of the OEMs is looking at bringing out twenty four volts back for trucks, um, just because we're out of you know, really capacity on a 12 volt and 24 volt would buy us some time before the, the 42 slash 48 volt systems come out. Okay. Um, so your, your 12 volt test light just went out the window, but yeah, you, you know, you're looking at, you know, whether 24 or 42, whatever, um, tractors that are still going to be a, you know, internal gas engine, there is going to be lots of different systems on that, that, you know, a lot of your electronics are still going to be operating on the five volt type system even though it may be a 24 volt cranking and charging system most of the uh electronics will still be 12 volt so you're gonna have to be able to, to troubleshoot and understand how converters work where it you know steps it up from 12 to 24 from 24 back down to 12 so you know that's that's very near future um but then you start talking the electric hybrid uh or all electric vehicles that are anywhere from 480 volts to 600 volts those don't just spark and, you know, cause wrenches to get hot. Those are voltages that kill people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the, there, there is a lot of uh, training we need to do and, and make sure people understand it. You know, some of the, the carb requirements coming very soon is uh, for the electric reefers. Uh, so you're going to see a, a huge uh, uptake in 480 shore power for reefer units. And that's a whole new system they're adding to a reefer. Yeah, and well, the thing is, it's been on reefers for several years. Nobody's ever used it. Yeah. Because it hasn't been a requirement, but now it's very close to becoming law that, you know, if a reefer's on a, 
or within a geofenced area, you've got 10 minutes to get it plugged in somewhere or you're going to get fined. Jeez, that's pretty tight. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is coming fast. And I say fast, it's all a matter of, you know, whose opinion it is. That's, um, well, I you talk to some people and it's like, well, that's a long time off. And it's like, well, is, you know, five to seven years a long time? I was going to say that window is probably five to 10 years uh, before we see a proliferation of this stuff. Uh, but it's, like you said, slowly working its way into trucks now. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to see, you know, um, I don't know what model year, 2023, 2024, probably with higher voltage systems and more complex electrical systems than we have today. Uh, we got to get folks ready for that. Oh, and just, you know, too, we're talking about the trailer technicians is we're <laughs> there not you go. far off from having a, a CAN bus or some sort of communication on a trailer. Well, you said earlier that the trailer guys are usually left out of the electrical discussions because there's nothing electronic or electrical on a trailer except yeah. basic wiring. Well, that's going to change. Yeah. So now you're either going to have to rob your truck technicians and have them work on the, the trailer side, um, or you're really got a crash course on trying to get trailer techs brought up to speed because we haven't done anything with them. And suddenly they're going to go from no training to, you know, having to diagnose, you know, uh, data communications and, and all kinds of things on a trailer. Yeah, boy, it's going to be an interesting 10 years, isn't it? Yes, it is. Larry Rambo, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today on HTC Talks Trucking. A really great discussion, and I'm sure we'll have you back to uh, dig a bit deeper into some of this. Appreciate your time, sir. Quite welcome. Thank you for having me here. If you're a fleet safety and risk management professional, be sure to add Bobbitt's fleet safety experience to your fall calendar. This virtual event features educational sessions and expert insights to help solve your fleet safety challenges. Fleet safety experience takes place virtually September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to learn more. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please spread the word on social media and give us a review and a rating if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. And check out some of our other podcasts this season. We've got an interview with Meritor on the interesting combination that's arising between OEMs and startups when it comes to developing electric trucks. And we've got a special podcast on insurance. This one is a post-mortem of an actual accident case that resulted in a fleet losing its business entirely. If there's something you'd like us to cover on the podcast, please email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.